All right, church, let's settle down. About to start preaching here. <laughs> it's a madhouse in here. You probably can't see it on the camera, but it's, 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 they're going nuts. Everybody, calm down. Holy moly. It's very exciting. As Liam Mitchell will be closing out the book of Zechariah today, uh, we talked in our small group, I talked in our small group at least, a lot about um, how surprising I found this book to be. <laughs> Small book, Old Testament, overlooked perhaps uh, by its nature, like many of these minor prophet books. Um, but it, the depth of what we see with regards to knowing who God is, what his plans are for us, how he plans to interact with us with a, a Savior and a Messiah, um, it's, it's, all, it's all there, um, every bit of it. And, and it, the connective tissue that we see between... Um, all these, these maybe seemingly isolated stories or, or perhaps historical context, which is important, is largely overcoated by the, the incredible plan that God has put in place for salvation. The, the reason that we gather here today because we serve a risen Savior, the, the reason that we, the, that we are here and we care for one another and we bother is being talked about here in Zechariah. And I just think that is, is really exciting and I hope that, uh, that everybody else has enjoyed coming along on this journey as well. We're not quite done. We still have another book after this of the Minor Prophets. We're doing all four, Malachi. It, and let's not be surprised if, as we're going through Malachi, lo and behold, it's the same thing again. The prophecy of the Lord is for the Israelites. It's for us. It's for all time. This is the power of, of the, the Scripture. So uh, with that, we'll be finishing it out today. It's, it's going to be a little bit of a long read, two full chapters and uh, the title of the sermon is, is Hope Becomes Victory. And I think as we go through this, you'll see why I chose that title. But if you've got your Bible, feel free to join with me. Uh, if not, please uh, enjoy reading it on the screen or just listening. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, You shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet, I am a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, What are those wounds on your back? He will say, The wounds I received in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be kept alive, shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is my God. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord, when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of the, the, the word went by too quick. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that, on, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. 
and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel. And you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost. And there shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time there shall be light. On that day living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree of utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets and their tongues will rot in their mouths. And on that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the hand of another. And the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, the donkeys, and whatever beasts may be in those camps. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. And if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the fees of booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the fees of booths. And on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, Holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we close out Zechariah, and clearly we're getting into, you know, end times discussion here, Lord, and and what's going to be happening at the day of the Lord. And this is obviously a time that's in the future when we talk about the earth being redeemed, Jerusalem being redeemed. Uh, But Lord, when when we study this and we we look at the historicity of this and we align it with what we know has happened and what we think may come, and Lord, help us also understand that we are here right now, that you are alive. Uh, As we just came off of celebrating Easter and we we understand and hopefully are well aware of the gift of salvation, the suffering that, that you went through on that cross to give us that, that we, we see here in this book that you are present in this time, very present, now, now saving and redeeming the world at large that has come to worship you finally, Lord. And uh, as many of those that come before that have the luxury here of being able to worship you freely, Lord, we, we really look forward to a day when all the world will, will cry out that you are indeed the Lord. There's no more guessing. There's no more arguing. It is 100% clear. I really, really look forward to that, God. But as we study this, help us not to get too lost in all the prophecies and the little bits and bobs of what may come and the signs and 
Those are great. They're here to, and for us to study and learn from. But the real focus here is you, your glory, and what you have done to bring us into your presence for eternity. Thank you for that, Lord. In your sons, I may pray. Amen. All right. Well, happy Sunday after Easter. It's always a little bit of a downer, perhaps. Easter is a big pinnacle. Churches are very full. Everyone, you know, puts on new clothes and fancy hats. I used to at least. And it's the week after, and it's like, oh, well, anyway, back to it, right? We celebrated who Jesus was, and that was great, but now what? Now what do you got for us today, Pastor? And it's more of the same. This week, last week we celebrated Risen Savior. I said we do it again this week. <laughs> Why not do it every week? We don't have to wait for Easter to remember Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection. We talked a lot about it in our small group. Here we are studying an Old Testament prophet book, and, and, and we see indications very, very clear of a suffering Savior, a Savior who will die by our hands, but through that will save us. But here we're at the end of Zechariah. Uh, not wholly unexpected, but it ends with a vision. If you've been following along, there's a lot of those. Um, and this vision concerns the future death of Christ and the eventual day of the Lord. That's what kind of happens in both these chapters. We see hope in the death of Christ here. That death changes things forever. Through the death that, we, that, that, that he suffers, we see the Lord taking drastic steps to remove idolatry. Um, begin the process of the day of the Lord. It may seem as if this goes in concert. Oh, this is going to happen, and immediately the day of the Lord begins. I can tell you, many of the early church fathers, if you will, believed that. <laughs> they, were, they were urgently uh, proclaiming the work of the Lord, expecting very soon for the day of the Lord to come. But we also see hope in that day of the Lord. When we read chapter 14, as we talk about plagues and eyes and boiling out of heads and all this mess, it may not sound very hopeful. But when we see the fullness of, the, of, of all the gospel, the good news that goes from beginning to end of the Bible, what we see is that the earth must be redeemed. God is just. God is good. He, he cannot tolerate these, the, 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 the unrepentant nations. He can't tolerate a creation that is rife with sin. It must be purged in order for him to dwell with his creation forever. So to dive in here, first things first, we see this chunk starts with God putting other gods in their place promptly. When I say promptly, it's because we don't have this idea, and on that day, I will uh, uh, begin the process of cutting off the names of idols from the land. That's going to take some time, and you know, maybe a several months or years, but slowly but surely we'll get there. No. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names from the idols of the land, they shall be remembered no more. And I will, I will remove from the land the names, the, I'm sorry, I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. They will not be remembered. If you remove their names and thus the memories of them, if you don't know somebody's name, if you can't remember somebody's name that's ever happened to you in life, it's incredible how very quickly memories of that thing fade, that person, the movie, whatever, book, whatever you've got. If, if you could remember what it was, there's some sort of an anchor there. Like, yeah, well, it was called this. I don't remember all the details, but this is kind of what it was about. But if you can't even remember what it was called, it's really hard to reference it. If you ever had somebody try to describe to you something, I don't remember what it was, but it has like a... We have this conversation about cars sometimes. I, I look at cars differently than my wife does. And she'll say it was a really nice car. Like, well, what, what was it? It was red. What did it say? I don't, I don't know. 
Were there words on it? I don't, I don't remember. It was red, and it was really pretty. She's not going to remember that, and I can't remember it because I don't know what it was, right? But there's the, what you see and how we perceive this is very, very critical. And if the names are gone, it's very, very easy to remember it. And we see with this, because of this, I can't even remember the idols we were talking about before. The prophets and unclean spirits, they're gone too. They are cultivating this nonsense. And when we talk about idols here, their idols are just like our idols. We might fool ourselves into thinking that, well, you know, Baal was really a god. Baal could have been an unclean spirit, but he became an idol when they worshipped him. Now, we could put a chair on stage, say the chair is holy, and worship it. It has now become an idol. It doesn't mean the chair ever was powerful. We gave it the power by being fools. But what we see here is God's ending all this, meaning whatever unclean spirits they had elevated into worship status, they're taken off because no one's worshiping them. What, what's his name? You remember the guy we killed all the babies for? I don't remember. Well, where do we do? Where do we go? These, these unclean spirits, these idols had prophets, people that figured out how to make a lot of money and g- g- gather up a lot of power by lying. Yeah, this chair's really powerful. It can do amazing things. Watch this. And they do some trickery and the chair smokes. It's real. I can't believe it. When I say it's the same as it was then, as it is now, it's because we've replaced things like that because we think we're more clever. We don't set up big altars and murder one another. We don't burn our money. We don't bring food in and ignite it for a false god or an idol. But what we do is we give it loads of money, loads of time, loads of attention. We prophesy on the behalf of these idols in our life about this new self-help craze. I found something really interesting in the Bible that I've never heard anyone else talk about, and I think it's true, even though it seems a little disconcordant. It's okay. Trust me. Let's go down this road together. I'm going to change your life by lying to you, cloaked as salvation, same as it ever was. When I say it's very apt for today, the reason is these prophets he's talking about were not of God. They weren't of God then. They're not of God now. If somebody is selling something to you that is not in the Word, they are lying to you. That is false teaching. If I try to say something, well, here's what the Bible says, but what it means is something, and well, that doesn't seem quite right, but it's probably not quite right. This is hard to do on your own. There's a reason we gather together. (laughs) There's a reason we talk about this stuff together. Suffice to say, this is not a good time for false prophets. (laughs) Um, false prophets will be executed by their mom and dad. I can't tell you what a big deal this is. In today's world, this would still be big. But in this time, this is largely unheard of. I mean, it was, uh, you know, even if you had a, a, a son that was a convicted criminal, a lot of times the mom and dad would just uh, plead, like, I, I just can't believe it to be. He was executed for it, but I still, I still think he was innocent. What we see now is this idea about... Uh, The call from the Lord is much thicker than even the blood in their veins. Now you've got moms and dads turning to their false prophet sons and saying, you've lied and done so in the Lord's name. And for that, you'll get pierced through the heart. (laughs) Um, It says, uh, his mother and father who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. I'm telling you, that's pretty severe judgment. Also, we say they won't be wearing their cloaks anymore. It says a hairy cloak. I'm like, what's a hairy cloak? This is all just vestments of prophets back in the day. They had very specific things they'd wear. False prophets could get a hold of very similar-looking cloaks, 
claim to be prophets of the Lord and say whatever they wanted. Maybe hard to discern that, especially when they told the, the people things they wanted to hear. Right? If you sell somebody a bear repellent here in the city of Martinsville, and you convince them that it works, and what it does is repair bears, repel bears, and they put it outside in their yard, and they turn it on, they might think that it's working. Because guess what? There hasn't been a bear in the city. Y'all, you're welcome. You guys need to get these to keep them away. Now, if you come up and say, there's never been a bear in the city of Martinsville. There hasn't been, at least since I've been alive, maybe the last 100 years. It's not a good place for bears. They're difficult to get in here. Yeah. You know why? Because we've had these bear repellents. Well, I don't think so. I think what you've done is buy something that doesn't work. You've bought a lie. You feel like it works because they've justified it to you in some way. This is exactly what these false prophets do. And we see them being called out for very specific things. They're going to take their cloak off. And they're going to start lying about what they do. Oh, no, 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 I just work in the field. I'm not a false prophet. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a slave. Remember, many of these prophets wouldn't have had jobs. They wouldn't have been well-established in the community. They were prophets. Now, all of a sudden, they're out of work. Oh, uh, no, I'm, a, I'm over here. That's why I don't have a home. I live with this guy. I'm a slave in the field. Yeah, why are all these cuts? Right? That may not make sense to us. There's cuts on your back. There's cuts on your chest, legs. Well, that was a big part of their procedure. They would cut themselves, bleed a little bit for the God, and and that sacrifice was useful in their, in their bouts of lying. And they'll lie about that too. It's amazing how something they probably had devoted much of their life to, convincing other people was true and right and correct and necessary. Now they won't even admit it. They don't want anything to do with it anymore. And after this bit about the prophets, we see the shepherd is felled. The number one thing to note here, I think, is God initiates this. When we talk about the, the, the death of Christ... This was God's plan. We see here, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. So this isn't an evil shepherd. This isn't some opposing force. This is standing next to him. This is, this is consistent with the death of Christ. God has summoned forth the death of Christ at his command. This is not unheard of. If this sounds shocking to you, that God had a hand in the death of his own son, this is a very, very critical component of our salvation. We are saved because it pleased the Lord to crush him. When we say Christ became sin, when we say he drank from the cup of God's wrath, that's no joke. God struck him down. We see because of this, the sheep will be scattered. Not just scattered, but scattered by God's hand. This isn't arbitrary. Once again, it's not like, well, I've got to kill. Wait, where, where are the sheep going? Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. No, 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 no. 100% controlled by God. And then we see here a, a, a little bit of information about these sheep. Not all sheep are created equal. Sheep will be scattered the world over. Um, and two-thirds will perish. Now, these would have been the sheep following the shepherd. So if the shepherd is Christ... These are the sheep of Christ. Two-thirds of those that were in the flock perish. Now, that may be really, really, really shocking news to hear. That if I'm looking at the shepherd, if, if I'm looking at the flock of Christ in any given location, that two-thirds of them are going to perish, yeah, ah, that's what's going to happen. And if you think, well, lucky for me, I'm in the one-third. That's true. You are very, very lucky. You are blessed. Grace and mercy beyond measure. But it's not like, and we get pulled right up. No, no, no. The third that survives, they're going to be purified by fire. And I will tell you, this purification will not be enjoyable in itself. 
The process by which things are purified by fire and still are today is violent, is a good way to say it. Extreme heat, purifications, impurities leave and move to the edge of the crucible that's just rip-roaring hot. The, 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 the substance to be purified is changed dramatically during the purification. The, pure, the impurities are not just snapped out of the gold. The gold is liquefied for a, a time. And then the, pure, the, the, the purity increases or the impurities are moved away as dross and swept away by the, the, the one that is actually purifying the gold. That sounds awful. Yes. It is awful. Go back and read what happened to many martyrs. It's awful. But when they call upon God, he will answer. This almost chokes me up. I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refined silver and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Now, when you're in the pot and you're getting smelted and the impurities are leaving, and you say, Lord, help me. And he says, you are my people. And you say, the Lord is my God. You're not so worried about what's going on in that pot anymore. Doesn't change the fact that it's happening. Then we see the day of the Lord. It starts with the army's utter massacre of Jerusalem. It's a pretty short passage here, but this is, uh, this is a nightmare, right? Uh, much like the purification we just read about, one could argue perhaps this is an expounding of that. The day of the Lord is designed to purge the earth of sin, but it's also going to purify those that remain. But it starts with the army's utter massacre. Huge losses, seemingly overwhelming odds. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. But God intervenes. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. I don't know about y'all, but like I cannot wait to see that. <laughs> In a world where we think we're pretty good at warfare and we got a lot of stuff going for us uh, in that regard, uh, the moment the Lord decides he's going to go out and fight, uh, stand back. It ain't going to be much of a fight, I'll tell you that much, but I bet it's going to be a heck of a show. And as we see this happen, note that he doesn't stand a post and immediately overthrow. The armies wage war and wreak havoc in the city. J Jerusalem is messed up. It is taken. The house is plundered. Women raped. This is really bad, devastating, horrible stuff. But I can tell you, if eternity is with God, even death here is largely irrelevant. And the whole point of this is what really matters, Jerusalem. Will God restore you? Yes, but they're attacking and winning. Well, you got a choice. Do you believe God or not? Because if you do, you know how this is going to end. There might be some losses up front, but just know it's for our good. Something, is going to, something amazing is going to happen at any time. But there will be those that are hopeless and leave the city and give up on God. Because of this, a whole bunch of changes. 
And this is maybe where it gets a little hard to know, is it uh, a symbolic, is it a, is it a figure, is it something like Revelation, or is this really going to happen? Could be both, could be neither, hard to say. But we see Christ reappearing. Uh, and, and this is, this is there's, there's, there's no question about this here. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. This is the Lord would go out and fighting. This is the Lord that he's referencing. Christ reappears on the Mount of Olives. When he lands on it, the mountain splits in half. And the pathway through this mountain is Israel's escape. Now, symbolically, we see that the Lord splitting the rock in two, effectively saving the people by the splitting of the rock, is very much what happened on the cross. God, God's son died on the cross. The rock was split. The curtain was torn in two. All these symbols pointing at something was separated, but through that separation is freedom. It says that they, they will escape through this, this pathway in the mountains uh, to a place called Azal. That's a mystery. I don't know that, it, that at least I couldn't find a definitive location where that was, but this is some place that's been set aside for God's people. And once there, we see God comes with all the holy ones. So as they're moving in, God's moving in too. And the world turned upside down. Like th this where it kind of gets, gets pretty nutty. No light, cold, or frost. Uh, maybe like, was that only just mean heat? And like, I, I don't think so. But I think the point here is that there is no longer going to be the conditions of the world that we have today. That drastically different. Some new type of day is going to be created. It mentions of the, you know, light at, in the evening. There's still light from God. Once again, this very closely lines with descriptions of heaven where the, the sun doesn't shine. The Lord is the light for all mankind. And now we see water is flowing from Jerusalem in two directions. All confusing and tough to grasp, but we know that Jesus is king overall. This was initiated by his arrival. When he lands on the mountain, splits in two, the process begins. And we see a great contrast. Now, water flowing in Jerusalem. We were just studying our small group about uh, when God begins this process, fire blowing, blows out of Jerusalem in both directions and annihilates the world. So we see this, this idea of there's a, a war, fire is here, then the paths are cleared, and then water begins to flow. Redemption for the world, for Jerusalem, for those outside of Jerusalem. There will be people that will be coming to worship God at this time. Hope for eternity. Everything is made alive. A description here that these plains extend effectively forever. The description they give is somewhat specific, but it's a large area. All of Israel, fertile, green. Jerusalem, though, remains elevated. That is a very, very poignant image that God's people are finally in their proper place. God is in the city. The city is above all mankind. God's chosen are with him in the city above everything else. Everyone else is down below. And all will worship God. Those that wish to wage war with Jerusalem will soon regret it. We see talks about a plague. Oh, we're going to go take the city back. Well, you want this time. Start getting close, your eyes are boiling out of your head, your skin falls off, same for your horses and dogs. Yeah, probably going to retreat. No sense in this, cannot win this war. Yeah, spoiler alert, that's the whole point. Why do people do it? It's a great question. Moreover, we see failure to worship God will be punished. If you fail to give God his due, you will get no rain. You get no rain, you are dead. Now today... You know, we have this kind of, I joke about this sometimes, like, where's meat come from? Well, the grocery store. <laughs> How about vegetables? The Kroger has them. Well, no, Kroger's not summoning meat from nowhere. 
Things are being slaughtered somewhere, and the meat makes its way to Kroger. Same with the vegetables and the milk and everything. If water, if, 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 every, if rain stopped on earth, Kroger would be bare shelves in probably six months. If there's no plants, there's no meat, there's no meat, there's no... Uh, you're dying real quick. Real quick out of food. So this is a huge thing. It might not seem like a lack of rain's a big deal, but at this time, especially... Humongous deal. No water towers, no backup plans, no help from another place, no pipelines. If Egypt got no rain, Egypt was done. If you do not worship God, you don't get rain, you're killing yourself. And then we see that God's going to purify and sanctify Jerusalem. I think this is really exciting. Every horse will bear holy to the Lord. We've seen horses used a lot (laughs) all over this book. They tend to represent other powers in the world around you. Horses and riders would be equivalent to the nations and the powers that be in those nations. Now what we see is all these horses in the city, doesn't talk about their riders, but the horses bear a mark that says, holy to the Lord. Meaning at this point, all the nations have been redeemed, perhaps. And God is completely in control. There's no need for governors or presidents or any of that nonsense. God's in control. And every pot in the city will be holy. This means the temple is effectively citywide. What we see here is, is things being pointed out that like at this time, what used to be very special for the temple itself is now citywide. If you're in, you are in. God's presence is right there. The Holy of Holies is visible to all inside the city. And because of that, everything in the city is holy. The horses are holy. In the new heaven, the new earth that we're talking about here, most likely, we see that God has redeemed it all. It is completely holy with God's presence evident. There's no question at this time who God is, where he's at, what he's up to. It is 100% clear. So, points to ponder. Number one, keep God in his proper place. Number two, prepare for God to purify you. Number three, know that God will fight for you. And and finally, trust that eternity will be worth it. So this this chunk of scripture we start today talks about idols. Um, And when when I talk about keeping God in his proper place, that's specifically what I'm talking about. God commands us not to have any idol before him. That's not my commandment. It's God's. And it's really easy to sideline God in our lives. I don't know anybody that's ever actually set up an idol and worshipped it. There are people that do, but I don't know that. I've not seen that. I've never had to combat that or discuss that with somebody. But I will tell you the idol, the idol nature, I-D-O-L, of being idol people, I-D-L-E, is tragic in the world today. Cruise controls isn't just for cars, sadly. I mean, I love cruise control in the car, especially the smarter ones. They'll do everything for you. This is the state of the world. There's got to be a better way that doesn't require me to do something. Can I automate this? When it comes to our time with God, when it comes to to worship of God, this cannot be done. There is no cruise control. We may want to do it. We may think we figured it out. I can just phone in a couple times a year. I can punch my ticket. I can give my tithe. I can do this. I can do that. I am doing what I need to do to be okay with God. And I'll say, if you say those words, you are not doing it. Because there's nothing for us to do. Take time to study and pray. 
Why? Because it gets you into heaven? No, because you will learn more about God. And you'll begin to understand. You will begin to understand that, my gosh, I don't think there's a thing I can do. I don't think it matters how many times I go to church. That seems like, I don't see any measurement of it here at all. I've given tons of money, but I don't see that being counted. It's almost as if that doesn't really matter. Maybe giving money is not designed to buy myself into heaven, but more of a, as a thankfulness act because I get to go to heaven. Once you start to grasp that, all this gets reversed. It's hard to keep God in his proper place. John Calvin's quote that, that, that Leah shared was written long time after this, way a long time after Zechariah. But a long time after Christ, Calvin got it. A guy that is held in very high esteem by many, many people because of the work that he did, myself included, is the first to say what we do as humans is make idols. We, we don't need them to be brought to us. We'll manufacture it. I'll build it up in my heart and worship it endlessly. We've got to lay off that. And bullet three here and bullet four is the way we stop that factory and we shut it down. We study and we pray. We commune with God. Talk to God. If you don't know how to talk to God, if you're at a loss, I don't know what to say. I thank Him for my food. I... Open your Bible. Go to Psalm 1, read it aloud to God, and just keep going until you can't do it anymore. That's a great way to talk to God. Those Psalms are David's communications to God that we are privy to because God is good. And some of them are like, yay, God, and things are good, and he leadeth me beside him still. Like, there's plenty of that. But there's also times when it's like, God, strip the flesh from my bones, I can't do it anymore. I am such a failure. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a loser. I'm no good. I don't know why you've chosen me. I wish you wouldn't have. I wish I was dead. Please kill me. These are in the book. This is how we talk to God. He knows what we're thinking. He doesn't need us to wordsmith. Talk to God. And the more we do that and we lay it out, the more the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, the more we want to learn. And pretty soon, we are putting God in his proper place because all we're doing is saying, God, where do you go? Is this right? Am I doing it okay? A little bit at a time. I'm not earning it. It's not like i got to put him here or he won't help me. God will put himself in the proper place in my life the moment I begin to be interested in doing that. Second, prepare for God to purify you. I can't stress this enough. I heard when I was growing up a lot of messages about land of milk and honey, and you can have a taste of it today. Who wants to taste the milk and honey today? Amen, 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 amen. And then you read these passages about getting purified in a crucible at 2,500 20, degrees. And like, whoa, 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 whoa. The milk's evaporated here and the honey's burning. What's going on? Like, well, I don't know. That, the milk, land of milk and honey ain't here. That's to, times to come. Now, there's a peace that transcends all that. But purification is often unpleasant. To be honest, it doesn't sound like fun. It's not likely going to be fun. The world will see us being purified and think we are crazy. Get out of there. That pot is going to burn you. If we know that the Lord has put us into a position to be purified, even though we may not like it, we can call on him and know that he is Lord, that he is for us. You want worse news? It might take multiple times for you're 100% pure. I don't work in the purification of metals field. But as I understand, 
to get to a, an appropriate purification percentage. It might take two or three runs. Bring it up, scrape, scrape some of the impurities off, the dross away, and then you do it again. Maybe higher temperature, maybe a little longer. Let it completely cool, then try it again until you eventually get to a place where it's pure enough. Guess how pure you have to be to be in the presence of God? Anybody have any guesses? It's 100%. There aren't going to be any 98 percenters there because God cannot tolerate impurities. He is doing this so that we can be with him forever. This isn't punishment. This is enablement. If you've ever done physical therapy for anything, it's a lot like this. Bend your knee. No, it hurts. You need to. If you don't, your knee will never be right. I guess I'll do it. Now, after it's all said and done, you look back and say, I'm so thankful that I have mobility in my knee again. But the process of getting it was taxing. But I believed that my physical therapist had my best interest in mind. The literature they cited seemed accurate. Proven results in other people. I did it. I'm glad I did it. Folks, I'm here to tell you right now, be ready. Prepare for this. I don't mean get all your ducks in a row and I'll start working on my purity, get it down to my feet so I don't have to put my feet in the hot. No, no, no. Be ready in your mind. Know that salvation in the Lord is wondrous and eternal and beyond compare. But to get there, expect God to burn this stuff away. I want him to in me. I'm still going through this process, and I know I'm not pure. The irony of, of the first step here, putting God in his proper place, you begin to see very quickly that I'm probably about 10% pure. I'm mostly dross. He's not going to get much out of me. But see, unlike metal that sits and does nothing, God changes us. If you want to spend less time in the purification pot, spend more time with Christ early on. By the time you get there, you might already be 98% because he changes you. I can't do that with metal I pull out of the ground. I have to smelt it. God doesn't need to, but he will. He told us right here in his word, this is going to happen. I'm going to test him. Some gold needs more purification than other. If what you want is to get pure as quickly as possible, read, study, pray. Seek the Lord. He will do it as he sees fit. But it won't matter to you whether he chooses to put you in the hot pot or snap the fingers. It just doesn't matter. Be prepared and know that God is for you. This is not hopelessness. This is not being thrashed to bits. This is not destruction. Purification and destruction might look very similar. But we were talking in our small group today. There's a, a notion of he's getting ready to burn the lands down. He puts Jerusalem like a hearth of fire or a hot pot, they said. Well, the notion here is here's Jerusalem getting purified by the Lord. The purification of Jerusalem is incinerating the sin around it. It spreads. This is good news. God's going to do what God's going to do. But this is not because God hates us. It's not because God loathes his creation and, and all this is a big lie just to punish us and laugh as we suffer. It's to make us better. And to that point, know that God will fight for you. While you're being purified, while you're going through these things and God's making you better, there will be straight up tough times. Times that feel like the world's crumbling against me. I don't feel like this is God purifying me. I feel like war's being waged against Jerusalem. I feel like my walls are caving in. Women are being raped. I want it to stop. I want it to be over. When? How long? 
They may just be to test our resolve. Do we believe what we say we do? Yes, God is, well, he will fight for me, but your world's collapsing in. Great example of this, read the book of Job. You know, this wasn't a war per se. This was God saying, that guy, he's pretty good. Satan's like, oh yeah? I'll bet you, I'll bet you I can have him recant in a minute. God said, go ahead. And Satan turned the screws on him. What we just read about Jerusalem was a lot like that. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And Job was forlorn in many regards, but he never recanted. He knew who God was. He knew the Lord would fight for him. If I'm going through this, this is something that God has set aside for me. That's all I know. I don't know anything else, but I know that. I know that God will fight for me. I know he will not leave me. He will not abandon me. So no matter what you say or what you're trying to convince me of, if it's, if it's entertaining that idea that I've been, I've been abandoned by God, it's not true. If we believe what we say we do, then we know that God will not leave us. We know he will fight for us. Even though we can't see it, he, maybe he's not fighting as quickly as we want or in the manner in which we want him to fight, but he is going to do it. Trust it. The word promises that. God has not broken a promise yet. Not one. And finally, trust that eternity will be worth it. Oh, man. Amen. A thousand times amen. We spoke of a fountain last week. A fountain, uh, a fountain that would come and save mankind. And then we see this, this fountain being referenced here. Oh, rivers, rather. Flowing out of Jerusalem for all eternity. It says through winter and summer alike. The river never stops. There will be no more sin nor death. Because of God's eternal presence, we are free to live. I love this idea of being free to live. Something I've never experienced here. Oh, we're free in America. I mean, we, we got a lot of freedoms. But I can't just do whatever I want. Quite frankly, my wants are badly tainted by my sin nature. Things I want or might not be good for me. I'm not free to just do whatever I want because I know it's bad. So I'm constantly checking and wanting to know, is this a smart thing to do? And how does this compare? And God, lead me here. And this constant turmoil. Paul talks about this. Me warring against myself. But one day... This side over here that I loathe, now it's me. It's me without sin, redeemed by Christ. Everything I want is good. Everything I want is good, and I'm free to, to, to do it forever. I worship God, I serve God, I work for God, whatever, for all eternity. That may not sound very good, but the more we get into this word and we read about what God's got in store for us. We read how, how he's shepherded us as a church, as a people, as humanity, as me personally to this point in my life. How much I loathe my sin nature, hate it, yet gravitate back towards it. I keep digging up old things and playing with this stupid stuff again and then bury it again and pull it back up. And oh, one day that's over. Church, I am so excited for a day like that. Service to God, everything that I do, glorifying him, godly, righteous, I just cannot wait. It will be worth it. So what about us? If you're not sure where you stand, if all this sounds great, but I just don't even know, let's sort it out today. Reach out to us. We'll meet you somewhere. Our Southwest campus, aka Starbucks, we're always going to be there. Holler. We'll meet you there. Somebody will meet you there. If you know Jesus as your Savior, are you acting like it? I can ask myself this in the mirror all day. I, like, I love coming to church, love doing this and that, but there's a lot of other stuff that has nothing to do with this that I like to do. I'm ashamed of it. It's embarrassing, but it's fun, or I want to be a class clown or be interesting. Church, I could say to myself, I need to act more like Jesus is my Savior. I want people to look and, and ask questions about why, why, 
Why are you acting that way? How can you be so happy in the midst of this? And if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you. There's some exciting things in the works here at, uh, at Calvary Heights. Um, and we'd love to have you along for the journey. And lastly, if you're feeling you've been left behind, if you're not sure where you stand, you feel like maybe you were standing with Jesus and now Jesus has moved on and here you are left by yourself. Maybe you've been in a church and got hurt and now all this seems like a double-edged sword. Please reach out. I got really good news. Our, our goal is to unify people to Jesus Christ. And we do that best as a body of believers. But our church is not about building camps, uh, clubs, none of that. If, if it's not about Jesus, we're not really that interested in doing it. So if you feel like you've been isolated by some other decisions at other places, or they've told you you're not welcome there, we'd love to talk with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you for these passages that are maybe equally off-putting and encouraging. Maybe hard to square that up, Lord. I'm thankful that we, could, we can study, though, and read this and be able to know that even in the midst of what looks like devastating odds or, or suffering beyond measure, that you are for us, you will fight for us, and all we need to do is believe, trust, have faith, be patient, all of which come from you, Lord. Um, it's just astounding how much you have done for us in order that we may glorify you more fully, Lord. So I pray as we leave this place today, as we move towards the outside world and what we're going to say and do, and we think about the end times and maybe how people don't understand what's coming or don't have any grasp of how bad it could be and what little hope there is in the things of this world, Lord, that, that we can bring to them a, a new perspective, new hope in something that lasts for eternity. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Sing your name, I pray. Amen.